look, that's look, retention is big. You know, ultimately, like we we have a we drive a philosophy within HPS within within RAF, which is you know fit for life. So ultimately, yes, I'm preparing people to do their job and to do their job better. But ultimately, I'm I'm wanting to make sure that people are preparing themselves to be able to go and enjoy their life after defence, to be able to enjoy their, you know, their family life, their their life with their kids. You know, that's the stuff that's really, really important as well. So, yeah, you know, come back to that that injury mitigation piece. We want to alleviate as much risk as we can to injury to to prevent those long those long term injury pieces happen. And that's that's an area that we really want to look at and, and really want to drive towards. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my YouTube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host and today my guest is Phil Morland, who's currently the Senior Sports Science Manager, Human Performance Safety Decorate at the Royal Australian Air Force. Our key topic today will be the similarities and differences of performance sports and military. Thank you for jumping on, Phil. Really looking forward to having a chat, mate. Yeah, cheers, mate. Eventually, we got there after a, a few attempts at trying, hey? Yeah, absolutely. I know a bit of persistence, but yeah, really looking forward to it and, and happy the fact that we, we did get there in the end. And yeah, really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing with us with your time. For, for those that aren't aware of your work, mate. Do you mind providing a, a background? Yeah, uh, yeah. Work experience so far. Yeah, sure. Look, I've probably been plotting my way in this industry now for about thirty years. Obviously, strength and conditioning has has been the bread and butter. Started out in the in the performance sports space. Made the transition to defence about or well, two years ago now, which has been a, yep. a, an interesting deviation. Uh, somebody had told me years ago would you be working in the in the tactical occupational space i would have probably said no sports where i want to be but it's been a really refreshing change prior to stepping in here i was head of head of snc at the new south wales institute of sport prior to that i spent six odd years as head of snc at the scottish institute of sport did some time at actas and and spent a large chunk of time in northern ireland as a head of snc for the northern irish institute of sport so you know i've worked from a you know, a lot of sports from everything from, you know, believe it or not, chess through to Olympic sports like beach volleyball, hockey, etc. So yeah, it's been a it's been a bit of an interesting journey over the over the time that's that's finally landed me here, mate. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, no doubt. I mean, there'd be a few coaches listening in that like myself would would, would be interested to discuss them. I'm sure we were a little bit later about that transition. Like you said, it would have been a surprise to you even you know, three years ago to make that shift. So even the very fact that it's an it's an opportunity for strength conditioning coaches to go down the military end is 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 a good one and, and an interesting one. But to go back more from the I guess to start with the sporting side of things, who were some strong influences and mentors, if you like, early on in your career that helped shape your philosophy? Oh, yeah, and look, it's it's been it's been wide and varying, and I, and I probably. You know, I haven't just drawn from from the SNC world or, or from the performance sport world. There have been, you know, some yeah. One of my big mentors or or, or a big person that, that that really set stuff up for me or, or took me probably into the leadership management space was my former director at the Northern Irish Institute of Sport, a, a guy by the name of Ronnie Smith. You know, I, I landed in in Northern Ireland in two thousand and one. You know, probably been just an SNC coach for all of my time and 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 ronnie was the guy who kind of led that transition from a coach into the leadership role and taking on that head of department stuff and and kind of took me on a bit of a journey in in that leadership space and and, and that leadership development space you know kelvin you've had kelvin on this podcast kelvin giles has been a big influence across across my career and, and across my time and and I guess Kelvin tends to pop up at critical points of time in 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 my career. He's he popped up in the very early days of my career when I was trying to find my way and and kind of set me on a course. He he popped up again as as I was looking to transition from the UK back to Australia or to to find you know to find a different pathway that I was kind of taking. And, and he cropped up again, you know, when I when I started to make this decision about transitioning from sport into into this space and. 
and whether the timing was right and whether I was ready to write. So, so he's been a, a big influence. You know, another guy very, very early on in my career and, and probably only a few people will know is a guy by the name of Harry Waddell, who was the, the inaugural head of S&C at the Australian Institute of Sport. You know, Harry was a Brit, weightlifting background. Very early days in my ad- undergraduate degree, I got to spend a lot of time with him around the AIS back in the back in the early early 90s and and he was another person who just kind of you know confirmed that this was the path that I wanted to travel and join and and then you know there there are guys that have have been actually members of staff of mine that that have also influenced my thinking you know there's a there's a guy in Scotland by the name of Scotty Crawford who's you know he's a he's a fantastic practitioner he made the transition from rugby player to rugby coach to then eventually strength and conditioning coach and you know he was a person I've known for a long time, but then, you know, to when I took on the role of head of department up there, you know, he was a coach within that department and a person that I, I worked really closely with and a, and a person who has a, he's got a, you know, a slightly different, probably a really holistic view of, of, of S&C and, and wellness and, you know, that holistic approach to, to developing the human and developing the athlete. So, yeah, quite quite a, a, a you know some some of the usual suspects, but then you know some different people that sit in there as well, mate. Yeah, yeah, good spread of different people with different skill sets as well. The, the leadership side of things, you, you mentioned how Ronnie Smith sort of really helped you sort of on that journey as an S and C. It's still very much sort of in the gym, on the field, look, working with the athletes directly. What what is the big shift, or what are some of the big shifts when you start more thinking of the but management side of things, do you think? Yeah, look, I think I think the, the the biggest thing that Ronnie started to really get me thinking about and, and I guess the UK system really got me thinking about was how to think strategically about what we do. I think, you know, I as I said, you know, those late nineties, you know, mid nineties, it was very transactional. It was write programs, deliver programs, coach programs. You know, we we traveled down that usual needs analysis pathway understand the sport da 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 you know all of that stuff that we kind of get we kind of get taught but i guess the uk system and and particularly in the run into london and 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 ronnie's involvement probably really started me to think not only strategically about how i manage a program or develop a program but strategically about how you deal with the sport so how do you how do you strategically think about where this sport's going how do you strategically start to plan and think about the outcomes that you're looking for so that you, you're not just in that transactional space of write a program, deliver a program, coach a program. You're actually looking at those longer-term end goals. How do you actually set up success? How do you set up that longer-term success piece? And I think, you know, my exposure or the time that I spent in the UK, that was probably the the biggest thing that, you know, that I came back to Australia really with, with a very different mindset about, you know, I think sometimes we we overcomplicate things. I think sometimes we try and, you know, science things a little bit too much. And I think coming back to a very strategic, simple view of, of what it is that we're trying to do, I think then allows you to, to, to really look at the objectives that you're trying to achieve. It looks at by being able to set those really strong objectives and by having that really clear strategic picture allows it to be a lot easier to integrate the other support personnel that you you need because you're integrating around a, a common strategic vision and a common set of obje- objectives. So I think that was that was the big piece. I think obviously the other big piece that you know where Ronnie influenced me a lot was just how to manage people. You know what are the structures and the processes that I need to put in place to manage people, to, to, to develop people, to grow people. How do I think about that and how do I plan that into, into this, you know, department development? Because I think that's a, again, I think that's a critical piece of, of trying to establish a department and, and, and trying to, you know, particularly in Northern Ireland when the profession was very new, I think before I arrived, there were probably one or two other S&C coaches on the island of Ireland. And so you're trying to grow a profession and develop a profession. So how do we think, how do we, how do we do that? How do we bring people on? Because it was very easy in the UK system at the time. They were just reaching into Australia and bringing, you know, bringing expats across. But I guess we sat down and we very much wanted to develop a system that, that, that brought it, brought local coaches through the system and develop local coaches through the system. And, you know, they're, 
some of the guys that came through that system in Northern Ireland, you know, like Ian McEwen is one of the ones that, that jumps out, was a, was a young intern with us and, and, and developed through our system there to, to where he is now. Another guy by the name of Johnny Davis, who, who was with Ulster Rugby for, for a very, very long time as their head of performance, you know, kind of came through that, that system there. So I think they were, you know, the, the, the two critical pieces in that leadership space that, that Ronnie kind of influenced for me and I know influence for a number of us at the time as we we embarked on that journey yeah so it's, it sounds like you're sort of shifting more the focus of micro being able to coach the athletes like you said design the programs to more thinking how can we influence the the future of this environment for you know years to come and set up the building blocks yeah yeah absolutely but I think also by understanding what you're trying to do from that strategic picture, you can make better decisions in your, in your programming space. You know, I think I think we dive into a needs analysis, and I think one of the one of the things we sometimes forget is the simplicity of how to win in the sport or the activity that we're 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 looking at. You know, so I remember sitting down and having some conversations with people around you know the sport of diving and and. We were looking at how we develop, you know, what are what are the things that we need to do to to enhance performance in the diving space. And straight away we, you know, people dived into that micro, you know, sciencey type level. But when we elevated it back up into big picture to the simple thing and simplistically to win a gold medal in diving, you've got to score more points than your opponent. Mm-hmm. So then you can start asking the questions, well, how do I score more points than my opponent? Well, I've got to increase, you know, I've got to have a, you know, a significant amount of difficulty in, in my dive cart. Okay, so how can I increase the, the difficulty in my dive cart? Well, I've either got to put in, you know, more twists and turns or more rotations. So then you start to get into a space where you can go, well, how do I increase rotational velocity? How do I increase the capacity in twists and turns? Well, then you start to come down to looking at takeoff velocity and you can start to really dig into Break it down. Yeah. Some of those those performance questions, and and you're digging into those performance questions from a from a more high level understanding, and 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 I would argue in some cases a more simplistic understanding of what you're trying to achieve. I think sometimes we just make it too hard. We, we mm. try and make it too complex. You know, if we come back to that simple performance outcome, I got to score more points, and then ask the questions from there. You you, you kind of land in a space where then all the you know then all the fancy stuff. Okay, well. Where's this diver at? Can, you know, you know, do they already have good strength to allow for for this, or are they strength deficit here? You know, you can then start to really get into those those questions and start to get into those performance spaces a lot deeper. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And and going back to your career as well, what are some highlights and and memories that sort of spring front of mind that you're proud of? Yeah, look. <laughs> I guess I guess there's a there's a, a recollection for me that the role you play in the performances of your athlete is is a really small one, you know. And I think we we've got to be cognizant of that, you know. We'll, at the end of the day, it's it's down to the athlete, the way they step into the performance environment, and what they do, and the sacrifices they've made. So, you know, I, I'm proud to have been associated, you know, with 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 Nat and Nat Cook and Kerr, um in the 2000 Beach Olympic gold medal. I'm proud to have been associated with, you know, Paul Brazell and the, you know, and 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 his stuff as one of the top northern top northern Irish sprinters, top UK sprinters. You know, there, there are a number of athletes that are, you know, I'm, I'm proud to have been associated with uh, the Queensland, the inaugural Queensland Sheffield Shield win back in 1994, 95. You know, but you know, to me, I don't really hang my hat on those things. You know, that that's that's not what I got into this about. I didn't get into it to put a medal around my neck or, or anything along those lines. I got into this to to help people and and to allow athletes and people to, you know, to achieve their dreams. And I, I guess that's the thing that, that that we're ultimately trying to do is we we want to get those people to achieve the dream that they've been dreaming about since they were a small kid. You know, effectively. Yeah, well said, hundred percent. And on the flip side, obviously, elite sport as well as military comes with pressure, with that responsibility, and yet yeah, sort of living in it. What have been some sort of growth experiences that you found where you've sort of learned the most from a professional point of view? Oh, look, I, I say this quite often because I don't, I don't think it happens to a lot of people 
today, but I, I, I just recall the first time I got sacked, <laughs> you know, the first, the first time, you know, I got dragged into a room and basically told, yep, your services are not required anymore. And cause you, I was probably living in a bit of a, a bit of a comfort zone, you know, the couple of programs I was working in had been really successful. The program that I got the sack from, we'd been successful that year. So you're probably in this comfort zone. So that becomes a really huge wake-up call. And, and I kind of remember, you know, I've said this story to a number of people, I kind of remember stepping away from from that experience going, I'm never going to let that happen to me again. So what do I need to do? How do I need to continually look to make myself better? How do I need to continually develop myself? How do I need to improve the way I communicate, the way I invite, you know, engage so that I don't fall into that that comfort zone that, that that let me slip to that space where it was very easy for the you know that organization to say look you've, you've delivered us great stuff but i think we need to go in a different direction so that so that was a big one you know it was it was pretty confronting at the time but again i think i i, I can't you come away from that what are the learnings that you take away from that is pretty is pretty critical and i think you know the the, the other ones is 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 allowing allowing yourself to expose yourself to different experiences or you know I, I i spent a year coaching in vietnam i spent two years coaching in brunei places where english is not a second language english is not a first language so how do you hone or how do you deliver your message then in those types of environments how do you you know deliver the best possible program that you can deliver when one of the you know the key coaching tools verbal communication is is potentially compromised and change and and challenged so I guess being comfortable to get into those uncomfortable spaces and and challenge yourself is really really important as well and I guess I learned a lot from my time in Asia I, I learned a significant amount of patience in 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 those spaces you know I was probably a fairly brash, very driven coach when I went there for the first time and just expected things would happen tomorrow. And all of a sudden you're in an environment where you might be lucky if it happens in two weeks time or three weeks time. So how do you develop that patience? How do you develop that ability? You know, it was the first time I'd I'd kind of been also exposed to actually having to deal with government officials. So how do you communicate in that government space and and, and in that that senior hierarchical space? To, to get the outcomes that you're looking for or to get the things that you need just to simply do your job. Mm. And is that something that you, yeah, when you're working with and liaising with people in, in that space, is it something you learn on the go through experience or do you lean on mentors that have been in a similar position before and in how to communicate and, yeah, conduct yourself? Or yeah, it's, yeah a, it's, it's a bit of both. I mean, I found I was learning on the go, but, you know, you were also reaching out to, to your mentors and, and, you know, coming back to that, I think one of the biggest things that, you know, when I talk to young coaches and coaches developing, your, your network of mentors or, or your network of people is, is your strongest, the strongest thing for you. How do you develop that? How do you grow that? Yeah, to reach out in times to, you know, how do I approach this? How do I do this? But a lot of it I found was just learning on the go, you know, You'll try something once and you'll get a rap across the knuckles and you'll know not to try that again. Uh, or you'll try something once and you won't get the outcome you want. Or, you know, you'll try a way that might have been quite forceful and 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 potentially, you know, not going to get you the outcome you want. And, and you've deliberately then been had a block put in front of you because of the way you've approached it. Then you've got to kind of think about how do I get around that and, and, and how do I... How do I navigate a different direction that might get me to where where it is? So there's a lot of learning on the go, but there's also a lot of talking to people as well to understand how to do it. And I think stepping into this defense environment, that's that's been that's been huge. You know, how do you because it's a really unique environment in here. So how do you you, you know you you're talking and relying on good contacts and, and colleagues that are in defense to help you understand how to navigate those meetings and and how to navigate those spaces. Yeah, I appreciate the honesty and the openness in, in your experiences there. Good segue into the key topic, which is the, the differences of military and, and elite sport. I guess from an environment point of view, being a leadership position in both both worlds, how, how do you sort of find the difference between being a leadership sort of manager, manager or position with sport compared to military? Yeah, look, I'm lucky that the team that I have in the defence space that I have have largely well primarily come from performance sport 
So, you know, we right. were very targeted in our approach on who we, who we, who we look at. We, you know, we've got a great S and C team. We've got a great physio team. We've got a great nutrition team. They're, a, they're an excellent group of practitioners. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I quite often say this to my boss, you know, my, my role is made easy by the exceptional practitioners that are working day in and day out on the ground um, and delivering on the ground. So the approach is the approach for me because of where they've come from then is very, very simple, you know, and, and very, very straightforward. It's about clarity of task. It's about clarity of direction. It's about them understanding, you know, their, you know, the term we use in the defense space is left and right of arc. So, you know, where their boundaries are, what their boundaries are, understanding what our objectives are in the particular programs that we're working to and then effectively, you know, being blessed with a group of motivated individuals, go chase that, you know, and, and that's that's working really, really, really well in the space that we're in. I guess the bit for me is the managing up piece into, a senior, into the senior leadership within defence where this performance concept is very different. It's, it's not there and... and and, and particularly in the RAF space, we've got a we've got an exceptional organisation that value technical mastery of their jobs very very highly. You know they want to be technically the best that they can be with the job roles that they have. But we we've missed we're not like Army where they recognise the need for both. So we, we've got a lot of work to do to help drive this performance piece in you know, or this you know this. Not only do you need to be technically proficient at your job, you need to be physically proficient to do your job over and over and over again. And so I think it's the manage up piece and, and, and the work up into that space, which is the, the, the stuff that's really different because you're, you know, unlike the performance sport organization, you've probably got a performance director that, that understands performance and the need for what you're selling. You've got a, a chief exec of the institute who you know understands the need of, of what we're doing and, and all of that type of stuff you know whereas in my space you know I, I you know i've just been doing some work with with one senior leader around a specific workforce where we've had to take them on a bit of a journey to understand performance you know fix my workforce well that's going to take a long time to fix your workforce because we need to do this there's still there's a little bit of a thought that you know we'll drop in tomorrow write some physical prep programs and everything will be fixed you know next week so we that's the workspace that we've got to do a lot of work in and what about the facilities and and technology involved like compared to a sporting i guess a team sporting team or an olympic athlete in terms of gym recovery centers you, you mentioned access to staff there yeah. it sounds like there's a relatively similar access yep. to staff support but yeah gym i guess any GPS or objective measures, force plates, and things like that. So again, this is again this is all new. So you know what you've what you've got. Uh, our programs are very varied, are very varied and different. So in some places, you know, we would have the that you would walk into it and it look like the typical sport model. So it's an integrated performance team sitting in an environment. You know, there's physio, there's S and C. You know, there's performance site, there's nutrition. They're integrated around a, a, a specific performance group. You know, they, they run for all intents and purposes what looks like a performance sport program with your, you know, your performance staff meetings, all of those objective measures and markers that are in place or, or developing because it's it's a really interesting performance space to understand because what does performance in an occupational space look like? Mm. What, what you know, the, this whole concept of game day for us kind of you hope doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But game, my next question. What, but back game day, game day does exist in in you know in, in other spaces. So you know, if we look at the the recent floods and and the support that the defence force game and gave in the flood space, you know, that's the type of stuff that we react to. It's it's the very short notice to do something or to be You're ready to ready. do something. So yeah. trying to get this understanding of perpetual readiness, and and I guess where we're we're looking to that is is. You know, we had a really interesting presentation from Duncan French the other day out of UFC, and you know we see a lot of similarities in that space where you've got a you've got a fighter in that in that combat sports place who's in that perpetual readiness phase, and then all of a sudden you know fight day gets announced, and then they go into a specific prep period for that for that fight, 
And so we see we see potentially in a lot of our occupations that's the same for us. We're in this mm. just perpetual readiness space, and how do we how do we grow that? But coming coming back to the program makeup in other programs, it doesn't look like that at all. And in, in other programs, we don't know what the objective markers should be. Um, we don't know what the measure of performance should look like. We're trying to understand that and learn that. Our performance staff might be an SNC coach who's only part-time there because he's got other responsibilities across across other programs or other spaces. So, you know, again, a similar piece. The other thing that we're really looking to approach is this long-term athlete development concept. How do we how do we apply those types of contact concepts into this defense space about linking the stages of development as a person's coming through their career so that they're, you know, we're we're preparing them from one stage to the next to the next. So Again, that's a, that's a real learning piece for us about how we how we how can we apply those principles? What do those principles look like? How do they sh- how do they work within within this type of environment? So there's a there's a lot of learning that that's really going on, and a lot of looking overseas. I mean, we're we're pro- we're very young in this HPO space here. I think you know the US are, are are a lot further down that journey and down that pathway. So really looking. To, to, to the lessons that they've learned on how they've rolled things out and how they've developed things and, and, and the types of metrics they're starting to capture and connect as well. I mean, you, you look on LinkedIn today and there's a plethora of stuff coming out of that tactical space from the US, particularly in their, in their H2F Army program, et cetera, et cetera. With the high value of the technical proficiency, is the physical work done and the, the long-term effort development done sort of behind the scenes in the individual where they're, they're doing it in their own time? Yeah. Of course, or are they doing it as part of a structured schedule? Work? And again, again, it's varied, but predominantly in Air Force, it's, it's you know, the onus is on you to develop it, you know, to do right. that in your own time. So I guess, you know, I come, you know, I come back to what I was talking about in, into that L- LTID model space. We want to then, how do we then install that management of self piece then very early on? How do we, how do we install that this is actually important and you need to take it on board and, 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 you know, drive it and deliver it. So I think, you know, and and, and I don't think that's particularly a challenge for the defense space. I see that as a challenge in the performance sport space as well. You know, I'm sure we've, whoever's, you know, in this environment understands the generational change that's taken place and we look at the, the fundamental skill sets that 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 our our early athletes or you know whatever they be coming are coming through the system with and the gaps and deficiencies in that space that that self-ownership and that self-drive and that self-responsibility piece to want to make myself better and, and take ownership of of my growth and my development i think is a challenge in in a number of environments in 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 the current you know, social structures. And from a, I guess, for the strength and conditioning coaches working in this field or looking to work in this field, what would the, what would a periodized annual plan look like? Or is there not one? Is it more six weeks sort of blocks and then <laughs> seeing what's in front of you? If yeah, you're no. Ready. No, yeah. It, well, we come back to that. It, it, it is into that perpetual space. But in saying that, we, we are able to start to get places starting to think about what annual planning would look like and you know we've probably got a couple of distinct phases within a year where you you know you've got the early start of the year where you're probably getting people coming back from leave and going into a bit of a gpp type type setup and structure you've probably got a latter start of the year where there's potentially activity and 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 training training activities happening so you're in a you know you're in a bit more of a a maintenancey type phase so we are starting to be able to develop some of those phases but i guess you know you come back to i come back to the the stuff we were talking about with duncan and just this perpetual almost this perpetual gpp and then you might know you might get a a unit that goes oh well we're going to go and do this activity in in six weeks and then you can go right now we're on a six-week preparation phase yeah and then you know i think i think this is a space where we need to get better at of of how we we plan in that space but but equally when when we do have activities how we actually plan recovery post activities as well you know so i think i think there's 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 still work to do and understanding how best to periodize and plan in the spaces but we're 
you know, the more we're involved or, or the more we spend time in the environment, the more we can start to see ways. And, and I, I guess I come back to, you know, what I was talking about at the start, the simplicity. Let's, let's not overcomplicate it. Let's, you know, some of our planning is, is really, really simple. I mean, some of our testing is really, really simple. Are you, you know, are you above the unit average? Are you below the unit average? You know, so I think we've we've got to find ways that 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 keeps things and our planning and our preparation simple enough and agile enough. You know, we're 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 looking at this concept of of agile periodization, and what we mean by that is coming coming into this autonomy space and 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 educating people in the occupational environment to think about. Okay, well, I've 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 had a hard day at work today, and I've potentially got a hard day at work tomorrow. What are my training choices going to be? I've worked today and it hasn't been that hard a day and I'm working tomorrow. What are my choices going to be? I've worked today, but I've got a day off tomorrow. What's my training choices going to be? So we're looking at trying to develop this, this, this red, amber, green programming. So our red is that, you know, you've had a hard day at work and you're potentially having a hard day at work tomorrow. Then you're in this regen recovery type, you know, idea of this is what you should do in the gym this afternoon or this is what you should do at home and, and equally yellow and green and then, you know, trying to develop some program sets and, and some program generic programs that are then coded red, amber, green that people can tap into, utilize and use. And I think, you know, I think this is the, the challenge in, in any occupational space. It, it's not, you know, it's the challenge in the police space, the fire space, you know, it's, it's the challenge in the office worker space who, who might be sitting you know, in a chair all day, you know, running a dispatch call or, or something along those lines, understanding what I can do and, and, and when I can do it and trying to give them some, some tools around making those decisions and those choices, I think is, is really important. And the, I guess the rehab side of things for those that get injured, what does that process look like? Do they hire people outside? privately or is there support there in the deep? yeah so yeah so i mean defense has the luxury you know as a defense member there's there's joint health command you know health manages a lot of that rehab health manages a lot of you know all of that injury return to work type space but again i think it's i think it's like any performance space you know we need to come back to a good understanding of the occupation that we're we're working in and we're operating in to be able to then understand what what a proper return to work pattern looks like um to make you know it's the same type of thing you know you see it in performance sport where you know we haven't done an accurate you know we haven't done an adequate reload of that individual before we've returned them to competition it's the same type of thing you know we see examples where we probably haven't done an, an adequate reload of that individual before they've gone back to to the workspace or, or they've been cleared for, for for work again so you know i think we've got to we've still got to look at some work in that space about how we do that differently and and i think you know part of part of what we're hoping to do going forward or, or want to do is that integration with with health and 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 you know the joint health space and how we can we can work a lot closer together and what are sort of the most common injuries are there ones that are sort of preventable or they're more just Look, hard to prevent. It, it's occupationally relevant, and I, I'm not a believer that you can prevent injuries. I'm, a, I'm, you know, I work in the space that I can do everything that I can to mitigate the risk of injury. But mm. you know, at the end of the day, you know, we, we we operate both in sport and this in potentially you know high high velocity environments or, or you know high force producing environments. Injuries are going to happen. How do we mitigate that to the best of our ability? And, and again, they're they're occupationally specific. I mean, you you would you know you would know that in in the occupational space, low back, et cetera, et cetera, across, across a lot of workplaces are is probably the key the key one. When we look in some of our flying spaces, necks. When we look in in some of our other spaces, shoulders. So it can be quite broad, and I think that comes back to understanding the performance needs and the performance requirements of our occupations is really important to be able to understand what those those common injury traits are are about you know one of one of the big things that's that one of our most common injuries that we we see in this space is actually you know people pursuing their own sport so some of our programs are geared around well how do we help them you know mitigate the risk of injury in their sporting environment as well as as the occupational environment yeah 
Yeah, I heard the other week that the, there was a real push for for playing football with the comrades and playing yeah, playing team sport. Yeah, and from a community piece. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sport sport I think is a big part of 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 life, be it you know in defence or not in defence. And I think you know we should encourage that. And and yeah, how do we? You know, we've got we've got guys in some programs we work with that like to like to run marathons. Okay, so how can we help them? Not only achieve the the occupational goals that they're looking for, but how can we help them achieve their goals in in that marathon space or in that running space? So you know, it's 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 quite broad the the way we look at our programming and planning as well. Yeah, and in military in general, I guess defence and a Royal Air Force. Like, how often would a career cut short due to a severe injury? Oh yeah, look, that's look retention is 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 big. You know, ultimately, like we we have a we drive a philosophy within HPS within within RAF, which is you know fit for life. So ultimately, yes, I'm preparing people to do their job and to do their job better. But ultimately, I'm I'm wanting to make sure that people are preparing themselves to be able to go and enjoy their life after defence, to be able to enjoy their you know their family life, their their life with their kids. You know, that's the stuff that's really, really important as well. So, yeah, you know, come back to that 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 injury mitigation piece. We want to alleviate as much risk as we can to injury to to prevent those long those long term injury pieces happen. And that's that's an area that we really want to look at and, and really want to drive towards. Is that where the government is sort of the funding and the recent sort of value in, in the physical performance side has come from is, is due to injuries and mitigating those or is it more of the performance? Oh, look, I think, it, I think it, it, it's twofold. I think it's, yep, we want to we wanna reduce those injury risks. We want to mitigate those injury risks. We want to enhance performance and enhance capability. But we want to, we, we, we want to, you know, retain people. We want to, you know, we want to keep people. We want to, you know, uh, have them, in a physical space where they want to stay as part of the environment for for as long as they can and and so that's that's where you know we come back to that fit for life piece you know not it's it's fit for life is is what we're driving towards very good before we start to wrap up the show phil is there anything we we didn't touch on that you'd like to discuss from the difference between or similarities i don't think so mate i think we've covered it really well you know i guess the you know, the one thing that I, I can, I'll kind of wrap up with, you know, one of the things that we always get when we kind of step into the environment, when we start to work with, with people in these occupations is, you know, we get the, the pushback that says we're not high-performance athletes. And I guess the mantra that I try to drive there is, no, you're not high-performance athletes, but you're high-performers. So I think we've got to recognise in the occupational space that there's still this, there are high-performers in there within the occupations that they've they've chosen to, to to be a part of and so it's it's not about just landing a high performance program it's about taking our principles and our understanding of what works in high performance sport and how does it imply or how how can we apply it to the environment that we're in i guess from one from a from an industry point of view you mentioned the surprise even for yourself in hindsight making this transition as a strength conditioning coach and working in high performance where you've been in industry for 30 years for, for someone that's listening and thinking oh that actually would interest me what would be you know is it how do you get the foot in the door in, in this world is it similar to sport and you know like you mentioned the importance of network and putting your best foot forward or yep. is it is there a different sort of tactic to like, how did you get your first sort of experience my network <laughs> yeah. literally my network it, it was sent by someone in my network as you know would you something that you might be interested in it originally was put across to me as a two-day-a-week thing around a specific project with with after discussions with my now boss turned into the full-time role that I'm, I'm kind of now in and oh. there's somebody else running that full project. So so network is really important. I think reaching out and and, and, and chatting to people, I think I think the occupational space is is only growing and, and and I want to shift away from purely the tactical piece because I think it's it's broader than just the tactical space. You know, it, it, it's I think the, the the broader occupational support piece is only going to grow and is only going to develop. You know, you look across. You you've obviously got the the obvious spaces like you know the first responder space, military, police, fire. 
you know, but, but what about other occupational spaces? What about, you know, the people working in call centres? What about the other occupational spaces where there's, you know, mining? You know, there's there's significant opportunities starting to develop in mining. You know, there are, there are a number of mining companies that now employ, you know, occupational physiotherapists that, that are running programs. You know, I was, I was talking to the guys at, at TACFIT container you know the guys that do the container gyms probably 18 months ago and some of their biggest clients were mining companies so you know there's 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 other spaces where the step into the occupational space and and to be able to take our skills in understanding human performance can start to apply you know we look at a number of universities are starting to to recognize this as well i notice i think it might have been harpney harpney university in the uk have, have set up a human performance optimization master so I think the space is starting to grow and starting to develop and, 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 you know, if we, again, if we look at trends, we look at the typical trend of where the US is, you know, the, the, the number of S&C coaches employed across their defense space is, is pretty significant. So that trend, I, I would hope, and I hope starts to, you know, come, come this way as well. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. It's a good way to look at it. A bit of a crystal ball. See what the US are doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. That's exciting news for yeah the whole industry. That there's plenty of opportunities to come and, and a lot of growth. And for what what you found in from a skill set point of view, are there certain um, areas that you'd want to develop that are more useful in the defense sort of space compared to sport, or are there still a lot of crossover? No, the the, the, the crossovers the crossovers you know the the, the crossover is the same. I think the the biggest thing that I found with people in that that i've brought into this space is probably i focus a lot more on ability to make connections your ability to interact with people your ability to communicate your ability to create relationships your ability to sustain those relationships your ability to communicate effectively i think that probably you know they're, they're skill sets that we need in high performance sport but they are probably they probably sit higher on my radar than 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 technical skills um i think you know we're, we're in an environment where you know I, I can probably get away and and help someone develop if their technical skills are you know not at that elite level but if their ability to communicate or their ability to build relationships is is not even there and we've got no hope of succeeding whatsoever because you know, because I come back to the earlier comments that we're we you know we're really in a space where we're just trying to, you know, grow that understanding of why this is important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes a lot of sense and a good way to, to to wrap it up. Moving over to the more the personal side, mate. Do you have pet peeves or anything that fires you up in your work life? Probably not ones I could repeat here. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't I, look. I don't really. I think I, I think I've learned to you know to just roll with the flow. I think I've learned that you know you're going to be presented with challenges. You need to work out how to how to how to deal with those challenges and and overcome those challenges. And and I guess I'm probably at a space now and a time in in my life where it's probably not actually worth getting wound up about those things. You know, it's it's time to you know you 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 probably you know more value in parking that, moving on and finding a different way to to get things forward. You know, I, I guess if you would say the only the only peeve is if a person you know doesn't achieve the job that we've asked them to achieve and and doesn't get the outcomes that we've asked them to achieve and is not doing the job that we we've asked of them, then yeah, that's probably a, a, a big a big frustration. But that's that's just part of management and part of dealing with people. Mm-hmm. What about favorite way to spend your day off? I believe it or not, watching sport. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's pretty much you know I, I probably you know find myself watching a, a lot more sport than even when I was working in sport. I, I suppose it's it's that that back into become, a hobby now. It becomes yeah. the, the hobby again. Yeah, exactly. Right. So right. so watching watching sport, I guess you know, obviously trying to spend some time spend time with the fam, and I guess that was probably one of the big things. That, that that led to this this change and transition across is I guess I, I found that I got large elements of time back and, and probably elements of my life back because I'm not necessarily in that 24-7 sport mode anymore um mm-hmm. I mean it, it, it's a very different environment and, and it's and it's it's not the same 
in terms of that that twenty four seven expectation piece. So, which has been hard, a hard habit to break because you you you're obviously in that in that hard habit and you condition yeah. to it. And you know, you sit on a Saturday and you're working away, and the first thing Monday morning, there's a nice email from your boss, kind of asking you very politely why you were sending him emails over the weekend and not with not not spending time doing what you need to enjoy I, I found that a very it was a very interesting thing that happened which i you know that would never happen in sport your boss reaching out and going what are you sending me emails for over the weekend so literally stop so yeah it's a, it's a bit different in that space yeah that's great and we're recording this in you know early may of 2023 what, what are you excited about for the rest of the year what's on the horizon Oh look, we've 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 got you know some some exciting extensions of our programs. We're starting to 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 start to fill in that middle section of the 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 long term athlete development framework piece. We've got really good work happening at our entry points. Now we're looking at that midpoint where people, you know, learn their trade and and apply their trade. So we've we've got some exciting program developments happening in that space. Yeah, we're just the just the continued expansion of of what we do and where we do. I think on the horizon, as I spoke to you about before, how do we start to get those better inter- interactions with some of the other organisations within the space to work closely with them? I obviously sit on the on the 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 the, the topper, the, the tactical operational performance association of the the committee of the ASCA. We've got a new course that we're writing and developing at the moment, which you know will come to fruition later on in the year i'm pretty excited about i'm pretty excited about that and that development and 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 the direction that the committee is potentially going to go with with some of the the growth in that space yeah and you know i got i got you know my youngest is is going to graduate from high school at the end of the year so that's a that's a big milestone to to look forward and and where does he go and over here and stuff like that and yeah so there's there's a few few different things i'm excited about for the rest of the year mate yeah, plenty happening. That's fantastic yeah. For, yeah. for that that course with the tactical side for for ASCII, Is that going to be like a level system? Is it more like a specific one one course, or is it? Yeah, look, we're still in development at the moment on how we look at it and, and what we do. We're looking potentially at, at a number of different thought processes around it. So I guess it'll be it'll be just watch, watch this space when we when we launch it later on down the track. Yeah. Very good, very good. And for anyone that has any follow-up questions that might be related to that or, or anything that's been mentioned, is there a place to get in contact or to connect with you on socials? Or Yeah, look, you, you'll only find me on LinkedIn. You won't find me on any of the other socials. It's, that's just not the space. On LinkedIn, I'm happy, happy for people to reach out to me on LinkedIn. If they want to connect in that space, that's probably the easiest way to do it. Yeah, for those driving listening to the podcast, we can add the link in the show notes to connect with Phil on LinkedIn and Thank you for everyone that's tuned in. Thanks again, Phil, for, for jumping on and sharing us with your time and your experience in both elite sport and, and military. It's the first that we've had on with this podcast, so fascinating chat, and I've taken a lot from it, and no doubt the, the listeners have as well, both high-performing athletes as, as well as staff. Thank you again, mate. And if with a connection piece, if from a LinkedIn point of view, if anyone has any follow-up questions on other socials they want to send them to me, I'm more than happy to pass them on to Phil as well for the podcast we'll release this next wednesday so make sure if you listen to this halfway through live you can watch it on youtube or just listen to your favorite podcasting app next week i'll see you guys on the next show if you enjoyed this episode and want even more our academy is for you the prepare like a pro academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as QA and a segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level here's an example with emily meehan Head sports dietitian on the football club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be and then game changes yeah, game changes whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and you know and because they hear it 
on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about, um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or, um, do physically that, um, you wish you either knew or did, um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm-hmm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just to be to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker, um, and yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.